Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast, where you'll hear right from the source how people like you have been able to buy and build their businesses across different industries all over the country. Dan Claps is the co-founder of Career Transition Leads, Nurture Assist, and Find a Business Online. Christian Dadalak is a franchise consultant with Find a Business Online, and he heads up business development for Career Transition Leads and Nurture Assist. He also runs an independent franchise consulting business, The Franchise Guys. Together, they formed relationships with hundreds of successful business owners who are excited to share their stories with you. Now, here are your hosts, Dan and Christian. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast. Uh, this is where we talk to uh, franchise founders and people successfully in the franchise industry about their experience, how to succeed as a franchisee, and all things franchising. Uh, I'm here today with uh, my co-host, Dan Clapp. Dan, thanks for uh, hopping on today with us. Yeah, excited about this one. And then we also have uh, Nick Sheehan here with us today, who's the uh, uh, the managing partner at Replum Group. Nick, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me today. So yeah, I mean, I guess just to kick things off, we'd like to get a little bit about your background and if you could share with us, you know, where you started off, how you got into franchising and how you got to where you are today, that'd be helpful. Yeah, great. Happy to do it. Um, well, first off, Nick Sheehan, managing partner of the Repum Group. Um, I like to say that I, I'm all franchising. It's all I've really ever done. It's all I really know uh, right out of college. I actually started, uh, I went to a small private school called Lynn University in Boca Raton, Florida. Most people have not heard of it before. Um, but I went there and um, at a, as a senior, I, I was fortunate enough to take some business classes and have some great guest speakers. And one of them just happened to be uh, a 12-time entrepreneur, as he said, 12 different businesses, uh, it, it was worth, you know, $150 million and was just some 70 something year old guy that would, was willing to help a young kid and mentor him. So I met with him weekly, long story short, business opportunity came about. He said, Hey, if you want to run with this opportunity with me, I'll throw some dollars at it. If you want to hustle. So I did. And the business that was selected was the ink and toner recycling business. So the most unsexy business in the world. Um, and I literally knocked on doors, door to door, selling toner, like a Xerox copy salesman uh, for two years. And um, I got a thick skin doing that and learned a lot, but wound up growing a business that grew to about a half a million dollars in revenue um, in two years. And he had some franchising experience and um, said, hey, if this works, we could open a second location and potentially franchise it. We did that. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to three years after you know, really starting this business, we franchised it uh, and grew it to um, eventually 35 locations in about four years. And I did everything from sell franchises to support franchisees, set up the systems. I mean, I did it all um, and really just cut my teeth on that business and learned a couple of things. One, from that experience, I wound up selling the business in 2012, uh, made a little pocket change, which was nice. But I learned a couple of things. One, love entrepreneurship, love franchising, absolutely hate the ink and toner business, never want to be in it again. Um, so moved on from there. Um, I, I was, at the time, I was living in Baltimore, but I went back to my roots in the New York area and, and actually settled in Southern Connecticut. And I worked with a consulting group uh, for about 18 months uh, and just helped people find franchises and also worked with emerging franchisors that were looking to grow. Um, because I had been through that. And through that experience, I made a company called St. Gregory Development Group. Uh, and that really changed my perspective on 
I would say, small emerging franchises to how do we go and build massive franchisors? And St. Gregory was just starting at the time. Um, they had some, a track record of success with a brand called Title Boxing Club. They had taken that from five locations to like 500 in a few short years. And they really were on the forefront of what franchise development and I would call a franchise sales organization is today, um, 10 years ago, where, before it really became a main thing in franchising. So they wound up um, starting a brand called Cycle Bar. Uh, when I joined, I wound up investing in that brand, becoming a franchisee um, and opening a location in Hoboken, New Jersey, where my business partner and I formed an alliance. And, uh, and then we grew from there. And you know, today I, I do still own Cycle Bars and, and I'm the largest franchisee in the Cycle Bar system with 15 locations in seven states. Um, and I wound up staying at St. Gregory for six years and we became the largest franchise sales organization uh, in the entire uh, world at the time. And we launched Cycle Bar, we, two years into it, we had a hundred open uh, or more than a hundred open and 350 sold. We had other clients we worked with in boutique fitness, health and beauty and wellness space. Um, and ultimately we wound up selling to private equity. Uh, and I was the chief development officer at St. Gregory. <clears throat> and it was a, a very interesting run. The last three years that I was there, we were owned by a PE firm. Um, and then what happened is we, uh, really Anthony Geisler was the, on the forefront of this entire thing and, and wound up buying uh, not only Cycle Bar and forming what is now Exponential Fitness, but he also bought uh, St. Gregory. Um, and that ultimately, you know, was a great three years understanding that whole world. And, and we grew so fast. I mean, we were, we were selling about a thousand license, uh, licenses a year. So over a hundred licenses, typically a month on average. So, I mean, it was a pretty interesting ride. And we had about 10 to 15 different brands we worked with at any given time. Um, and, you know, it was just a great experience. So, that wound up ending in 2019, and the reason for it is Exponential Fitness wanted to go public, um, and they brought the entire sales team in for, in-house for the most part from St. Gregory, and I just opted not to do that um, and started the Repum Group with uh, uh, two partners, Rob Cambruzzi and, and Jason Ryan, um, and we created a little bit of a different version of what I had seen uh, in the past, which is we are a full franchise development firm. Um, so we have four divisions. We have our Brandum division, which is focuses on marketing, branding, go-to-market strategies for our emerging franchisors. Um, we have our Growem division, which is really our franchise sales arm. And that works with candidates looking to buy the brands we partner with. And we bring them through an entire education process uh, to figure out if it's the right fit for them. Um, we have a Buildum division, which is ultimately, once they buy a franchise, we help them open the location. And that was the original business my partner, Rob Cambruzzi, founded over four years ago now. Um, and that really helps them find the real estate and then manage the construction process. Uh, and then the final division is Scalum. And that's a big differentiator for us. Uh, Scalum, Jason Ryan, our third partner, who was Rob's boss over at Driven Brands, um, was the president of Mako with 600 unit chain, $600 million business, um, and came up 15 years with, with driven brands and they, you know, had a Mako, Meineke, driven or uh, Goddard school and, and some other brands. Uh, they're owned by Rourke capital now. So big company uh, and they just went public as well. So that scale piece, when brands start to sell a lot of licenses, we wind up helping them actually physically operate the business and help them to make sure they're structured properly to be able to 
you know, essentially handle the growth. Whereas a lot of franchise sales companies just don't do that. It's, it's more of sell the licenses and then it's responsibility of the franchisee. Um, we take a much deeper dive into that. Um, and we brought in the, the vice president, former vice president of operations, Rebecca Horowitz, uh, as well to, to kind of head up that division uh, uh, from, for all of our, our current clients and future clients. So that is my, my background in a nutshell. Um, you know, I've got two kids, five and nine years old. They drive me crazy, but I love them. Uh, and I, I'm, as I said, I'm originally from New York, but I currently live in Charlotte. So when do you sleep? what's that? I don't sleep ever. Actually, I, I look at, you know, if I can get five hours a night, that's, that's a good night. It's incredible. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me how much you've got going on at any given time. My, my first question for you, Nick, you know, I was surprised we were together recently. You know, we've, we've got a lot of great candidates looking at a lot of your brands at the Repum Group. We were together in, um, in Minnes- uh, uh, where were we? Uh, Minneapolis. Minneapolis. I had to remember traveling a lot. Um, but, you know, we were together and I was fascinated to learn that you own other brands as well beyond the ones you explained. Um, you know, but yet I feel like I could call you anytime and you don't seem inundated, right? A lot of our clients that are on this podcast are looking to own a business. They don't want to do the day to day. You know, they want to run a business. So for you, you're running these franchises, the largest franchisee in, in the system. You're, you know, you're running Repum Group. Um, and yet seem like you've got, you know, free time. Um, what's your secret there? What's the biggest trick to being able to do that? Yeah. One word. I'm good at delegating. Delegating would be the word I use. Um, you know, I, I learned early on, this is goes back to my mentor is, um, in order to be successful in scaling your business, if you don't know how to delegate, you'll never scale and you'll never become a big business owner because you can't be in every place. You can't do everything. You can't do every job. And if you try to, you'll just fail and you'll be ineffective. And so I've just learned to let go of a lot of the control and trust my team that they're going to achieve it for me. Because if I didn't do that, I, you know, I'd never get where I am today and where I want to go in the future. Right. Um, so it's empowering my team to be able to do things and, and also empowering them to like, you're going to make mistakes. That's business, right? I'm okay with you making a mistake. Let's just not make it twice. Right. Um, and learn from our mistakes. And so I would say that's the, the number one thing for me. And just to follow up to that, you know, empowering, right? I always hear that term. We hear it in business books. You know, are you, uh, you're setting some type of guidelines, you're giving them rules, like, you know, you hire a marketing person. Is it just go or, you know, yeah. how do you set them up to then empower them? So uh, one, I have a couple of business coaches and, and one of my business coaches uh, put it, an example of how that you, you think of that in business. So think of a military, the military, right? When you think of like a, a sergeant or whatever division or whatever they're in, the military runs so well because everyone that is involved in the military knows exactly what they're doing every day. They wake up, they know their, their job, they know what they're supposed to be doing, where they're supposed to be at what time and so on and so forth, right? That's how you have to look at business ownership with your employees. You have to say, okay, here's what your job is, whatever this, the description of your job is, your title and so on. But what do you actually do? It's like, if you have like a chief operating officer, that's great. The title sounds great. But if you don't have the areas of responsibility and focus day in and day out, everyone gets confused and lines are blurred. And that's where business starts to go negative in my opinion. So it's just being very clear on here is your responsibilities in the business. Stay laser focused on those. If there's other things we need to pull you in, we will. But don't get distracted by, you know, things that aren't in your department because you'll wind up wasting time on them and not getting your 
true task done that you're supposed to be doing. So that's a big thing for us is making sure we provide the system, we provide the guidance, and they can go execute on that. That's great. Definitely. <clears throat> Something that's interesting to me that I wasn't aware of, I didn't know you were the largest franchisee in, uh, in CycleBar, that's fantastic. So <clears throat> I think a lot of the clients that we work with initially, you know, it's, it's probably hard enough for them to wrap their head around the idea of owning one single franchise unit, right? Yeah. So how did it, for you, I mean, what did the journey look like from, I mean, did you start with just one location and then you scaled it to 15? I did, yeah. Um, and it's funny, looking back, that was only four and a half years ago when I opened my first location. But I can tell you there was so much fear and anxiety for me to open that location. Everyone goes through it. And I use the term with fear. It's false expectations appearing real. Because we all get in our own head and we start looking at things the wrong way. Like, you know, get excited about an opportunity in business. And then we look at it, we dig in and we say, well, I can't do that. That's too expensive. Or, oh my God, look how much, how many people I have to hire. I've never done that before. And it's always false expectations because it's just things you haven't experienced before. And the human mind goes to negative when they think about change or they think about things they don't know about, things about or they don't understand, right? And so ultimately for me, it was finally just getting enough courage to you know, put both feet in and say, I can do this one, but two, not only can I do it, I have to do it because I literally pretty much dumped my entire bank account out to open my first location in Hoboken. Um, and I, you know, we just made it work. I mean, we knew we had one shot at it and if we messed it up, okay, we rebound at some point, but we weren't going to mess it up. My partner and I came out guns a blazing and wound up breaking every record under the book for grand opening from sales perspective. And it all came down to just execution. Yeah. I just wanted to follow up real quick with, you know, you said that you have a partner. How did you find your partner? How did you choose that partner? What qualities do you look for in a partner? Yeah. So really kind of random. Um, I was uh, employed by St. Gregory, as I said, and we were at a discovery day and my partner's name is Joe DeMarco and him and his wife founded a brand called local bar, which is, it's a bar concept. And we were looking to maybe franchise business or they were looking to franchise it, I should say. And they flew in, to see a cycle bar discovery day. And uh, we lived near each other, obviously, because I'm, you know, an hour or so from Hoboken. And we just hit it off and stayed in contact, started talking after discovery day. And um, they had, uh, he had open local bar, but he had extra space. We had another 2000 square feet that we could build out. Um, that was, you know, next to his local bar location in Hoboken. And it just kind of morphed into about three months later saying, let's do this as a partnership. And, and, now, literally, uh, five years later, I would tell you he's one of my best friends. I mean, I think, Dan, you've met him before, um, and he's just a great guy. So, Well, I, I agree, and you guys have a great, seems like a great, you know, great partnership, great relationship. All your, your partnerships seem, you know, uh, seem that way, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I don't believe in that whole idea that you don't do business with your friends. I actually think it's quite the opposite. Um, maybe if your friendship was built on something else, and then you're doing business, perhaps that's not going to work. But if you have some type of working capacity and then you start doing, you know, I like to joke, I, some people play basketball, I do business and all my friends are, are business with me, right? My, my business partner and I are great friends and Christian and I are great friends and, and Natalie on our team, right? And Nick and I and everyone, right? That's, that's what, what's the point of doing all this if you're going to be working, yeah. working hard. Um, I, I had a question. So you guys, it, by far, some of the greatest brands, you know, uh, we always tell our clients that our job is 
really to do two things, help a client figure out if they want to own a business, if they're cut out to own a business. And then if so, match them to a brand. And that's the hard part, right? Picking brands is 4,500 brands. There's 300 new franchises every year. Uh, less than you know, 5% become you know, 100 unit plus opportunities. And so our job is to find the right brands for our candidates before we even ever talk to them. Yeah. Um, and we, we rely on you know, your company so much because you've done all that due diligence with all your experience. So what is, could you maybe talk about three or four, or, you know, five top things that you, you pick when you're, you're choosing all these incredible franchise concepts? Yeah, well, the first thing I would say is from a Repum perspective, I have to look at it and we have to look at it from a lens of an investor, candidate coming in that wants to buy a franchise because ultimately we know what buyers are looking for, right? And not in a way of like we're trying to sell them on something, in a way that in order to make a sound investment and decision, which is arguably buying a franchise is a bigger decision than buying a home, right? Because everyone buys homes, but not everyone buys businesses. So it's a big decision for people. And there's a lot of questions and there's a lot of research and so on. So ultimately, we know the things that if these things don't align, no one's ever going to buy it, or very limited amount of people will buy it. And so for us, what it came down to is number one, if you look at the brand itself, you got to see who are the people behind the brand? Does it have really good founders? Does it have good private equity behind them and leadership? Right. And are they prepared for the growth? Um, if they have that, great. That's number one. It checks the box for us. Number two is do they have, are they in an industry that is a space that you want to be in? And there's two things we look at for emerging brands. One, is it disruptive? Is, is it something new that's not out there today in franchising, which is, I like to say, the rare air that we find every so often. And second is, is it in a space that might be around forever? Like we have a painting concept that's been around, you know, painting franchises and painting, you know, companies been around forever, but they have a, a, a differentiator. And I, we like to say that's the white space we look for. Those are the two things we look for in brands. To be then clear, it comes, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, I mean to cut you off. Uh, is it a, Obviously, if they're both, that's excellent. But is it a if or kind of situation where if it's there's nothing and then it needs all three of those components, uh, disruptive uh, and the space is stable? It needs to have a great founder or a great leadership team. Um, and obviously have the money behind them to in order one way or another in order to grow. Um, I'd say it's an either or with either, you know, disruptive new industry or you know, something that is uh, unique within the space that they're currently in. USP within a stable space. Got right. it. Right. Um, then it comes down to, I mean, proof is in the pudding, right? And it's always money. If, if it's the greatest concept since sliced bread, but they don't make money, I always say it doesn't make much sense. No one's going to buy it, right? If you don't have the economics that support whatever your investment is on a franchise level, don't franchise your business, number one. Like, just stay out of it until you've figured out the model. Because investors are going to come in and poke holes in that, right? If they can't see a path to making their, their money back or making whatever their income, lifestyle, wealth, and equity goals out of your business, you're going to have a limited pool of people that want to buy into that, right? So, so that's the, the other one. And then the other thing is just, do they have the ability based on our coaching to listen? If they're not coachable, it doesn't matter. It, you know, all that I just said could all match up, but if they won't be coachable through this process, it's not something we're going to, you know, we're going to see that is going to work well, not only from a rep perspective, but from a franchisee perspective, because the number one thing you have to do as a franchisor is listen to your franchises. You have to. Um, so those are the things we look for. That's great. So it's cool seeing it all 
broken down like that into a leadership team funding and then if or disruptive new industry you know disrupting and creating new industry or a space that's say about there's a unique selling proposition obviously financials that makes sense and then like you said the ability to listen and and, and work well with people that's that's, uh, that's great yeah something you said that was interesting was you, you look for brands that have good founders, but what does that mean exactly? How do you evaluate what a good founder or good founding team looks like? Well, I think they have to have, uh, number one, um, from our perspective, selfishly on the Repum side, they have to be people we align with. If, if they don't want to row in the direction we want to row, typically um, it doesn't work, right? You need to have a, because we're partnering with them, right? So it has to feel right like from, I would say the honeymoon phase. And if it doesn't, then we're not going to get married. Right. Um, just like a dating analogy, but that's, I mean, that's the truth. So that's the first thing. Second is, um, do we believe they have what it takes to really inspire franchisees? Because 50% of them buy, buying into an emerging brand is being able to believe in the leadership team. So their reason to believe is, it has to be strong. And it's usually half being them and half being their concept. So those are the things we look at from a good leadership perspective. Absolutely. And one thing I wanted to ask about as well, just shifting gears a tiny bit, but so a lot of the brands you're working with are in many cases, they're, they're emerging. There's not a whole lot of franchisees in the system yet. I think that that presents tremendous opportunity. I was reading an article the other day that said, you want to invest in the Orange Theory Fitness before it's like Orange Theory Fitness, you know, before it's really expanded nationally when the opportunity is still there. If, if you're investing at the point where it's already kind of blown up, you sort of miss out on the opportunity for the most part. But so what do you say to candidates to get them to feel comfortable with investing into an emerging brand? I mean, how do you get them to be comfortable with that? And what's the strategy there? Yeah, well, one is they've got to trust the system. So, you know, through the analysis and the way that we bring candidates through a process is it's about a six week process from start to finish in order to get them fully emerged in what the opportunity is. And through that, they should be able to feel this makes sense or doesn't, right? And if they feel it makes sense, then great. They know that, you know, look, emerging brands are not where Orange Series. Orange Series, whatever, 13, 1400 locations open. It's a well-baked out system. I think what a candidate coming into an emerging brand is, is, has to look at is, okay, I believe in what these guys are doing, but I also know I've got to be nimble because there's going to be shifts and changes as this brand grows. And I want to be a part of that. Um, and I want to be a part of that change in a good way to help them get better. But that's a part of what you're going to do early on in an emerging brand. Makes sense. I mean, how about like, as an example, you just had a, we had, we had a great candidate uh, together with one of your concepts with Ellie. Um, you know, I, I think I, I heard that he was excited that it was an emerging brand. He moved yeah. forward with 10 territories. Like, what was that kind of, what was his decision-making, you know, process there in your conversations with him? Yeah, well, Ellie in particular is one of those concepts that is in that rare air of being in a, in a industry that is, it's a mental health, health um, clinician-based model that is a therapy-based model, essentially. Um, and there's nothing in franchising like it today. And uh, this particular candidate came out and loved the team and all those things I talked about. But they had a, a background in this, in this space. And his term to me was, this is lightning in a bottle. If I don't take advantage of this now, I'll miss out on that lightning in a bottle. And it was all the things that checked off. It was perfect for them. Economics were right. Love the leadership team. 
yeah. territory was available. He's in San Antonio. He wanted to really control that market and not a lot of other opportunities he was looking at could give it to him, give that to him. That's excellent. Fantastic. So one, one last question for me, would you say that those more emerging brands present greater opportunities for a franchisee as opposed to ones that are models that are more built out? I would, but here's what I would say. Um, there is a yes and a no to that. The yes is if you fully vetted the model and everything kind of checks off from the checks and balances perspective. And if you're working with a franchise consultant, what they do is help coach you through what you should be looking for. So I think the value in a franchise coach is tremendous for a candidate that's coming in looking at an emerging brand. But separately from that, it is, um, if that all checks out, then it really comes down to, yeah, I think that the opportunity can be great, but you know, if the franchisor is prepared to support them, right? I've seen plenty of emerging brands that have great corporate locations, but ultimately wind up failing because they're not ready for becoming a corporate entity to a franchise entity. And that's a big transition. Um, so they got to be prepared for that. So if you vet all that and you see all that and it all checks out, then yes. But be careful about that one piece. It's excellent. Well, this has been awesome. Uh, you know, if you're a candidate in our process with Find a Business Online, working with one of the members on our, our you know, in our consulting team, you know, definitely inquire if you're not already working with one of the brands, you know, learn about some of the brands with Nick and Repum Group. Um, if you're a franchisor listening to this and you want to learn, you know, nurturing, lead nurturing, or, you know, overall franchising questions, reach out, um, you know, find a business online with the largest franchise uh, consulting firm in the sense of a team, right? We have a team of consultants. We have nine on our team now we're growing and, you know, we'd love to work with you uh, in exploring some of the franchise with Repo in general and, you know, just reach out. 